0: Hello? Hello? Are you here? Well, you would refer to you, the person listening. Here would be the Paul Leslie Hour. Now, this show's been going on for 19 years, almost 20. It's full of conversations that inspire, entertain, enlighten. And we've got an interview today from the archives with Neil Jason. Now, Neil Jason talked with your host, Paul Edward Leslie, about his life as a composer, producer, and bass player. He's considered one of the best bassists around. He shares insight about some of his sessions, including Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Billy Joel... Neil Jason also talks about the more than 100 appearances he made with the CBS Orchestra on David Letterman. Wow, that's a bass player. Well, one thing we know is this. We appreciate every like, every share, every comment. But one big deal is (laughs) every contribution. We love that. Just visit ThePaulLeslie.com support. You can give yourself and share with others the gift of stories. Thank you. And now the natural next step is for all of us to listen to the Neil Jason interview. Let's listen together.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is a bassist Songwriter, a producer, a session musician, Mr. Neil Jason. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Absolutely, thank you so much for giving me a call, Paul.
1: I kind of want to go back to the beginning. What was life like growing up for you? Oh, we're going back to like the Stone
2: Age, I guess. Then (laughs) I uh, grew up in Brooklyn, in New York, and started playing different instruments when I was about—I don't know—in probably. 10 or 11 years old, I took up saxophone and then piano and then landed on trumpet and played piano and trumpet for about 14 years before I started discovering bass in like my last year in high school. And then during my college years, I kind of got very deep in the bass. But where I grew up in Brooklyn, it's like everybody seemed to be in a band. It was like you were sports, you were a band, there, was, there were so many bands, and it was just a great way to grow up, so I got exposed to a lot of stuff.
1: Now, what was it about the bass that you were attracted to? I'm not sure
2: that, I mean, I love being the, you know, the, the bottom of a rhythm section and working with the drummer, and it, for some reason, in a band I was in, in my last year of high school, I was a trumpet player, and I would also sing some songs, and we were doing like Knock On Wood or something, the keyboard player always played bass with his left hand, kind of like a doors kind of set up, but he had a bass in his basement, and he said, you know, if you learn Knock On Wood, or one other song, then to play bass on those songs, and it's as much hipper, and it's much cooler. And so I took home that bass, and I learned like one or two songs, and you know, you don't know what the cosmic connection is. It's like one of those things I played bass and, you know, and the little bells started going off. And i like, this is nice. Now, I had played a lot of instruments at this point, so it it wasn't like I had never touched any other instrument. But when I started playing bass, it was like I could stay with this for a long time.
1: Hmm. What music did you enjoy the most as a young person?
2: Probably funk, R&B arena of uh, life, you know, Sly and a lot of uh, original R&B. And then, uh, you know, I morphed through my heavy-duty jazz years when I was in college with Miles and Coltrane and that kind of stuff. And, of course, along the line, thank goodness for a college education, which exposed me to an enormous amount of classical music where, you know, whether you like it or not, the influences are undeniable. And some of stuff is just ridiculous, you know, Stravinsky and things you would hear right to spring and just see stars, cause that's like, just came out of somebody's head? This is crazy, I'm just trying to play bass. <laughs> so, that, it kind of informs you what, you know, what else goes on in the world of music, and it, all of that stuff just helped me a lot, but I really, really like just sitting down inside a track with a drummer, and I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of hours for a couple of years. Six, seven hour days,
1: just practicing. And, you know, when you love it, there's nothing else to do. Hmm. What about the bass players of today? Who out there do you appreciate?
2: Well, there's always new kids who are kind of like the guy from Dirty Loops, Henrik Ludston, I can't remember his name off of it, but really good. Guys like Victor Wooten, who are ostensibly new. There's a whole crop of those guys that are. They just carry on the tradition. They're just really great players. And there's a lot of bands now that have really good, accomplished musicians in them. And the bands record themselves, which is kind of a little different than uh, back when I was doing sessions. And a lot of major recordings use session players. You know, still some of the original legends are still around. Will Lee is still around playing his ass off Stanley Clark still plays Marcus Miller still playing guys who are like you know just classically some of the best players that ever will be and they're still playing unbelievable
1: you're a part of music in a lot of different ways from being a session musician producing writing is there an area in music that you feel like you're more passionate about or is it all about the same it is. It's really close to all about
2: the same. At different times, there are different. Like when I'm playing with the Brecker Brothers, it's very close to my heart. And even though it's, some of this music isn't sane, it's really, it's really good and challenging. And you know, part of my makeup when I play with Brigitte Zari's band and stuff that I've helped compose with her, and you're standing in front of a big band and they're just nailing a song, and she's singing her ass off. It's very hard to deny that, well, this is pretty good, as opposed to playing maybe something where not everybody is as passionate as you are about what's going on at the moment. But I really do get to be in the privileged position almost all the time of everybody who's doing the gig that whatever I'm on is probably as passionate, if not even more so than I am, about the music that we're doing. And it's not necessarily, if you're in a polka band, it's like, there's nothing to be passionate about. When If everybody locks up, anything could be amazing. I mean, it's music. It's not, you know, there's, there's supposed to be something in your soul that you could please yourself with. In, in the end, yeah, there's always going to be like, if I'm playing jazz or funk or big band or... Some of those arenas that I'm born into, I'm going to like it better than, I don't know, playing. See, I can't even say it. I love to play everything. Hmm.
1: That's the end of that. (laughs) You mentioned Brigitte Zahri a moment ago, and you write the songs with her. What is the process of writing with her like? It's fantastic. Very interesting give and
2: take. There are some songs that she just literally... Uh, you know, sings from beginning to end. Maybe she changes one word when we close the studio finally, but the song is pretty much done and we just end up talking about arrangements and, you know, I change the chords here and there. But everything else is like a serious back and forth of we demo stuff up and comment back and forth about what's the groove, what's not the groove and she has tremendous insight into what she feels comfortable with and the fact that the songs are all born out of a real background and that kind of stuff for her. So the music that she's drawing on is like, if you listen to the Beatles a lot, you would draw on that. If you listen to Sinatra and all the big band and that whole, you draw on that. And she is a songwriter in that kind of old ilk. So it kind of makes it easy because the stuff just sounds like that. So it's not like, hmm, how do I make this into, it just is for real. So, you just like work on what would be a, a slightly more clever arrangement of it. And some of it is like, why are you being so clever? Just, <laughs> just, it's a big fan. Make it groove next. Because the song is, you know, it's all about the singer and the words and how you support it. It's not about like, how hip an arrangement is this. Every once in a while I'll fall into it. I'd love it to be super hip, but it's much more important to service the song than it is to service
1: my ego. I see. Is it true you wrote Hard to Be in Love with You or co-wrote that song? Oh, that's funny, yeah. Uh, I used to
2: write with John and with Daryl occasionally, and that was a song that uh, we came up with. Uh, I forget what album we were working on, but yeah, I loved writing with those guys. Always a pleasure.
1: What were they like to work with in terms of writing?
2: You know, it really was a simple, very, I mean, the, Things are really good musicians, super talented songwriters, really dedicated to their craft. And it's it's that face-to-face thing that always works. You know, you're sitting in the room and guitar, two guitars, a bass, a keyboard, whatever, everybody's doing something. And sometimes you present an idea that you had, you present an idea they had, you just start messing around, like, what's that? And, you know, the real creative process as opposed to, clinically or mechanically which i don't think i really ever done it was a very organic process and a lot of fun
1: the list of people that you have played session with it's just it's astounding there's no way we could go through all of them we'd be here for days <laughs> <Appreciate it>. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm curious about a few of them yeah. what, what about working with paul mccartney playing bass on his tracks
2: You know, as a bass player, I don't know if there's any other plateaus (laughs) after that for somebody who grew up when I grew up and watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and then ends up becoming a bass player and then ends up standing in the same room and going on a little mini tour and doing videos with Paul McCartney from the Beatles. So, yes, it was extremely surreal and he made it very easy. One of the nicest cats I've ever met just a sweetheart. I was going to say he's a regular guy, but there's no regular guys I know with that like kind of talent. He's got just, it's like stupid talent. It doesn't matter what he does. It just has this vibe to it. And I don't think it was because I saw him as a Beatles. I saw him play lots of different instruments and sing something that he didn't think was good or play a chord he didn't like, but And to see the dedication mean, this guy by the time I worked with him was Paul McCartney, the icon, many, many years and billion times over by the time I met him. And still, you know, tormented about a chord change or if he likes the song, if anybody's going to like what he's doing on this. And I mean, that's serious dedication on another level. And that impressed me to no end. And, And again, just really easy guy to play with and... His family was wonderful and I, there's not enough nice things I could say about it besides the point that we got to talk about basses and just the fact that I was allowed to play bass for him while he was playing piano was, you know, a true honor as a bass player. And as a bass player again, you don't forget something like that.
1: <laughs> well, you got to play with not only McCartney, but you got to do recording sessions with John Lennon as well.
2: Yeah, I actually. The very very sad part of that situation, of course, is we never got to play live again after I met John when he was doing the first half of I think it's Double Fantasy. And I was introduced to him at the Hit Factory, the Hit Factory. And then he was still recording with his original rhythm section, and I was in the Plastic Ono band, and we were going to start recording a few months down the line, and John was assassinated. And just a horrifying thing to be associated with on any level. Even as just a fan, and just a terrible moment, and yeah, we had to finish a lot of tracks and play on a lot of stuff without John, and very disconcerting, and done properly, and some things with his wishes being explained right there on the tape. Again, a very, very out of body experience. Yeah, not your everyday recording session.
1: Mm. It's probably a very, very difficult question, but with all of the things you've been involved with in terms of recording, could you pick the most memorable or the most meaningful session? Yeah,
2: that would have to be the first session of my life, and I can't name the second one yet, because that would have to be the last session. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's... I know it sounds stupid, but it's all still, it's all truly amazing to go to the studio and, you know, I mean, I recorded it for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours with nobody and nothing and myself and friends and until I was finally invited into a room where it was like, holy crap, this is the real stuff. These guys are serious. To me, I mean, the first real, real recording session I ever did is whether it was the best music we ever played or not, or what it is truly the scariest and most memorable. And everything after that, of course, is unbelievable. I played on many Sydney Glauber records and Hollow Notes records and with John McLaughlin and with Bo McCartney and with Gene Simmons from KISS and Peter Chris from KISS and I was in rocky music and I played on Dire Straits. And I mean, I met a lot of iconic people and I've played with people who, before they were iconic and were just friends and they're great, great artists. I don't think I ever met somebody I didn't enjoy working with. It's on that kind of level. It's a very interesting life. First session I ever did, I obviously was able to rise to the occasion, scare the living heck out of me. But it was a very serious gig for for Gladys Knight at the studio in New Jersey and Steve Gadd was the drummer. I don't know if you're familiar with Steve Gadd. who's one of the world's greatest drummers. Oh, yeah. Everybody on the session was a number one call. I happened to get called through happenstance and a circumstance that existed at the time and actually was able to fulfill the role wonderfully and moved on from there. But I can never forget that feeling of dread and fear and then wonderment of this is what it's like to play with guys on that level because that was a level you can only dream about until you actually start playing on it and it makes you a different person and it makes you a better player because you want to be there and you want to be able to play like that and it's a it's a very studied environment and to be allowed to be there long enough for it to become part of my routine and my soul it was an honor. So I'm always thrilled to... Sometimes I look at the list of records I played on, I'm not even sure how the heck I did it.
1: One of my favorite Billy Joel albums, I think it's, it's an underrated album, and it's The Bridge. Mm-hmm. Can you remember doing this session on Getting Closer?
2: Well, you know, I remember doing a, a number of sessions with Billy and not remembering what songs were on what sessions. And... I'd say about half of the sessions were live at the power station, which is now Avatar in New York. And the other half were a series of overdubs at, let's say the record plant. Could have been been A&R at that time. And I don't remember where, which place at what time that song took place, but working with Phil Ramone, his producer, who's... Was a dear friend of mine, may he rest in peace, and Billy just being the consummate artist. And, I mean, these guys are good. I learned a whole lot of stuff from them watching
1: their run sessions. I wanted to ask you about performing with the CBS Orchestra on The Late Show with David Letterman as a guest yeah. artist. What is that experience like? Well, and it's very interesting you should bring that up because tomorrow, which is
2: Thursday, I'm going to be taping Friday's show I'm subbing for Will Lee with Paul Schaefer and the band for probably the last time because the show goes off the air in three weeks. So this would probably be my last appearance, and I've been doing it for 32 years. It's an unbelievable experience, just unbelievable. It's a little bit scary. I know the routine for a really long time now, so it's not as scary. But talk about guys that are good at what they do. These guys are unbelievable. It's very serious cues and Anton Fig is a drummer, one of the world's greatest drummers. Paul Schaefer, whether anybody knows it or not, one of the greatest session keyboard players and an incredible musical historian. That I mean, but he's been busy being a sidekick for a long time because he's also a fantastic comedian. He's the real deal. Will, unbelievable on bass, the guitar players of one section. Everybody it's a very Tight machine. And yeah, I love going there and doing it. And it's kind of like a racehorse mentality. You show up, there's very little preparation, there's very little time to get anything, rehearse anything, and then you're on. And you play hard for an hour and then you're off. Hmm. (laughs) It's a very high stress incredible music, but if you pay attention, it becomes, again, I know the routine well enough, and these guys, they play good. There's no kidding around.
1: What is the most satisfying thing about what you do?
2: It is. What I do is, I mean, one of the most satisfying things you could do in life is to be involved in the arts. It's extremely cerebral. It's extremely soulful. it, It feeds my heart. And, you know, having uh, Brigitte uh, and her unbelievable talent and seeing her work and working with her, I mean, quite a fantastic combination for a very happy life at this point.
1: What would you say to anyone listening in? Just totally open-ended. Totally open-ended? You can say whatever you want.
2: It would be, on the basis of music, that it might not be something that everybody... I'm not sure if it's something everybody wants, but whether they know it or not, the arts and music are something that everybody needs. And if it's not something that everybody needs, there's a lot of people that want it. It's an important part of human nature. It's like people who run and they get serotonins and they feel happy. people who see a painting and they feel happy. People who hear a piece of music and they feel happy. It's, as important as sleeping, it's as important as work, it's as important as play. It's just another part of your brain that when you stimulate it, it changes the way you see the world. And it brings people together that would never, ever connect. Pretty important. Kind of like good politics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is that an oxymoron? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's a great answer, I have to say. My last question. Who is Neil Jason? Hmm.
2: Maybe I have to call him and find out. I'm sure somebody knows. At this point, very happily married, feeling accomplished, and still anxious musician, always looking for the next great musical moment, and enjoying the the ride because i just can't think of anything better to do that would ever make me feel this way
1: thank you very much for joining us
0: thank you for sharing
2: absolutely my pleasure paul thanks so much for calling today
0: thank you for stopping by today if you enjoyed our program consider telling a friend about it the paul leslie hour is made possible through people just like you though so you want to keep the show going right go to thepaullesley.com. That's thepaullesley.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primorano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primorano, the traditional song Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.